0: We originally reached out to Shani Sandy, a Berlin School alum of Class 14, back in March, to speak with her as part of our International Women's Month special. The scheduling didn't work out, so we then discussed doing an interview about her 2017 thesis entitled, Is Designing with the Same Colors Yielding the Same Old Design? In her work, Shani investigated the perspectives of Black graphic designers working in the U.S in an attempt to identify new canons beyond the dominant, minimalist, Swiss design tradition. With George Floyd's murder in Minneapolis this past May, Shani's thesis topic, with its repeated call to action to evolve beyond a Eurocentric worldview and recognize US designers of African descent, seemed even more urgent to devote a discussion to. As she wrote in her thesis, in a discipline that relies heavily on the diversity of ideas and perspectives to craft creative solutions, The lack of racial diversity specifically amongst people of African, Latino-Hispanic and Native American descent is strikingly incongruous and apparent, especially when juxtaposed to demographics. She quotes a 2015 statistic that even in the major design hub of New York City, back then 67% of the population was non-white, yet non-whites made up only 29% of those employed in creative occupations. Shani also quotes statistics from 2016 showing that there were, and probably still are, significantly different outlooks between whites and Blacks on race in America. For example, 88% of Blacks believe that the US needs to undergo more change for Blacks to have equal rights with whites, while only 53% of whites believe that. She concludes, in 2016, Americans are at a point in history when a liberal colorblind mindset has grown, yet such a mindset even given the realization of a Black president, seems ludicrous in the wake of the killings of unarmed Black citizens by law enforcement. Shani has worked in design for over 20 years, moving from an education in fine arts and computer art to a career in graphic and web design, from her own studio to executive creative director at s Global, and in 2018, joining IBM as a design executive leading their design-driven transformation. So to
1: start with, I'd love to know what led you to this specific thesis topic. Did it come in a bolt of lightning or was it something that incubated <laughs> over time?
2: Right. I, I wish it were the former because <laughs> it, it would have saved me months of uh, deliberation and experimentation. It, it definitely developed over the course of the time. My, my thesis topic came from my personal experience. And my interest in the design discipline, but specifically layering on top of that, what my journey has looked like as someone who was focused on being a fine artist at first in my career, uh, looking at it with the lens of being a Black woman in America, and also coming into the field fairly new to it. There were a number of things that led to my journey here, uh, but I ultimately got to a place, Rose, where it became clear to me that I'd been in the field for, at that point, probably almost 15 years and was looking around at my peers and the people that are the icons of the industry and the learning and curriculum I had been indoctrinated into and did not see the representation of people like myself, and I knew they were there, but uh, it, you know it wasn't in the forefront. And so this research was an attempt to touch on that element.
1: And had you discovered the writing of Sylvia Harris at that point, or did that come through your thesis?
2: I had, um, but but you know very superficially. I, I saw a couple of articles that mentioned her, and that led me to a specific piece of work that she had done at that time well not that time it was it was it's prior to when I discovered her and when my topic formalized I realized I absolutely have to tap into the work of Sylvia Harrison and also others like her who have been in this work before but again have not had the spotlight on them so yeah it, it became a point of of deeper consideration and focus once I determined what my thesis topic would be.
1: Maybe I should tell listeners, I know you quote from her 2012 article, Searching for a Black Aesthetic in American Graphic Design Education, and she also wrote several other articles, and she was a designer herself in my Correct. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and she put specifically, I was thinking, if this was a trigger for you, she ends her article with this optimistic call to action that black designers Mm -hmm. and scholars will contribute to this body of knowledge and support a generation of designers hungry to see their people and experience reflected in the mirror of our profession. So I thought Mm -hmm. those words would have worked for me, at least, (laughs) had I been in your (laughs) shoes to think, if I'd been at the Berlin School, Okay, this is my opportunity to look at this
2: absolutely i think it is a very clear call to action and i had not discovered that particular you know piece of work and declaration until i went even to my research and, and heard what she had to say and it resonated so much because that that's really the root of what i was trying to get at in my work is clearly from again what we see promoted what we learn in our educational curriculum the lens in which we analyze good design, quote unquote, with bad design, you know, it, it's a very Western lens rooted in in, in, in the Bauhaus movement, and it does not include all of these other perspectives. And I think what Sylvia Harris says in her call to action is a rightful one. You know, what what are we missing out on? What have we dismissed? And Let's rectify that. Uh, So I I was definitely inspired by by her work and and that very call to action as well.
1: With that note, since you brought up uh, the Bauhaus, it's an interesting point that you touch on briefly in your thesis. is the lineage from African art to the establishment of design as we know it today. As you wrote, Cubism takes its principles and DNA from African art. I think that's pretty undisputed in art history.
2: Mm-hmm. We
1: know that Cubism, in turn, influenced several modernist movements, amongst them the Dutch De Stijl movement, which in turn fed into some of the, the tenets of Bauhaus. So I'm curious whether you think that if this fact alone were more widely communicated, it would encourage more up-and-coming Black designers to join the field and expand its colors in the way that, as you mentioned in your thesis, Black musicians, for example, have expanded the musical canon inventing entire Mm -hmm. genres?
2: I propose in the work, though it's not the main focus of my thesis, that our curriculum is one in which we've all been indoctrinated into. And there are some efficiencies to that, I, I I think when we think about, you know, commercialism and having a standard of aesthetics, it is a lot easier to manufacture so-called creativity if we're all on the same page about what that looks like. Uh, And and it speaks to being able to, I would say, work in a, a, a consumerist way through having these standards that we all agree upon. And that serves a purpose. However, I think when we think about true creativity, there's pluralism there, there's dissension, there's alternative ways of thinking, there's multiplicity, and to have a discipline such as design, and specifically visual design or communications design, that is devoid of its very roots and lineage, is to dismiss a whole other exploration of what the outcomes could look like. But also, it does leave folks who are often marginalized, like Black designers, not realizing that they have claims to this discipline. They have claims to this lineage. So I I fundamentally think that we need to have a re-education of not just black designers of designers, period. And one of the things that I'm actually looking at in terms of my part two to my research, because for me, this, this is not a one and done piece of work. But I really want to extend this research into something I'm calling the miseducation of designers, which is a play on the miseducation of the Negro by um by Dr. Carter Woodson, and really examine this Eurocentric lens that we've been looking at and say, well, you know what? This is singular, it needs to be expanded and really re-educate us as practitioners and folks who uphold the discipline on a more expansive way of understanding and appreciating the the work and and actually rewriting it, Uh, entirely rewriting it.
1: Well, this sounds fantastic. Is it um, a work in progress, a research, a book? How are you positioning it? Yeah,
2: how am I? Yeah, well, so I was thinking of starting in an anthology form and actually looking at a smaller selection of designers from the 1900s who have been dismissed or erased from history, um, and using their stories and journeys as the the building blocks to this lineage, to this history that existed, that most of us are not aware of and recognize. So it is a work in progress. I've identified uh, a number of designers that I want to focus on. And, And I think one of the interesting things, too, about this work that I'm finding is there are folks who were practitioners during that time who were not known or categorized as designers, right? That's a fairly modern notion, but the work that they were doing matches up to what we talk about today in terms of translating ideas into some type of visual communication and that understanding of how that translates prior to the maybe commercialization of design and fitting it to what existed prior to this label um, is an interesting exercise of its own. But yeah, I'm really excited about the work. Uh, you know, I mentioned uh, Leroy Winbush in, in my work and he was the president of the Chicago Art Directors Club. And I, I definitely want to make sure that there's reference to him and his path and his story. I think that's an incredibly noteworthy Person to highlight, but I also want to give recognition to folks who are, are lesser known. Um, there is a designer, well, was a designer out of Philadelphia, uh, one of the first women out of the one of the Philadelphia art schools. It's going to escape my mind. I can see if I can find it because she. I mean, she really is an inspiration point for me as a black woman, and finding her her work, like I said, before. The popularization of designer as an occupation was a normal notion. Really, again, goes back to what we talked about—that we've existed. There's a lineage, and, and and not knowing that there are roots there can sometimes make you feel foreign in in the work, especially when you're educated with icons and frameworks and you know, a whole, like I said, indoctrination that doesn't show a reflection of you, right? It can be very alienating if you don't realize that you actually have claim to this. And so, um, you know, just seeing her, her representation for me was inspiration on its own to know I needed to, I need to continue with this work. I'd love to
1: hear a little bit about the experience of actually writing your thesis.
2: Sure. It was, it was a journey to stay lightly. Uh, <laughs> I, as, as I had mentioned, the process to writing has to start with, well, what am I going to write about? What aligns with my passion and interest? What do I think will be valuable for the community? And a starting point to more building. Right. I I didn't look at this research, like I've said before, as one and done, as transactional. So the the writing part, while something that evolved over time is important to elaborate on with you, I think I spent the majority of the time focusing on what do I want to write about. And that took some introspection. I remember I had at least Five different topics initially and at the time my advisor was very helpful in saying you know it has to be something that you narrow down to you can hone in on that is feasible and you know that you can really commit to so getting to the idea point that probably took me six months really did because I also wanted to research the various five ideas I had a little bit further than just the idea to see how much gravity was really there. And then once I landed on on this idea in in my in my thesis that we're talking about today, the writing process itself had to be planned. I guess to summarize, I had my own process that I think mirrors my creative process around getting a bunch of information in, letting it settle and simmer, you know, finding like what flavors come out of that, which is really like the connective themes that I talked about, um, having someone taste it, right, critiquing it and then adjusting along the way. And that took me that took me about a year to get to a place where I had a final thesis that I could be proud of, complete, hand in and present.
1: Well, that doesn't surprise me. I hope it doesn't surprise too many of our listeners either that it's, it's a long yeah. haul.
2: You have to tailor it to work for you and your life as well because it really is a significant amount of time and energy required in writing something like a thesis, especially because it's something you know you care about and you want to make sure that it's reflected.
1: It's something that has the potential to open doors for you also in the industry itself, mm-hmm. uh, and to even shift your attitude and, and your career. So I'd love to ask you a bit about that. I'm curious how it was received and whether it had any impact in terms of the choices you've made or opportunities that may have arisen. I saw, for example, that you were invited to speak at the American Institute of Graphic Arts on diversity mm-hmm. and design a few years ago.
2: I have been fortunate to have opportunities exp- extended to me to. Speak on national stages, on local and regional stages, uh, to be parts of panels, to contribute my research to archives. So, I, you know, I feel fortunate that it was received in that way. I, I will say that for me, especially now, I think in this moment, I have revisited the work. You know, this was 2017 when the research was completed, and I knew, as I said before, this is a continuous journey for me. So the thesis was a really critical milestone in the ultimate research I want to continue focusing on, which for me is the exploration of design in the African diaspora. That's a bigger concept than anything else, because I go back to this notion that we have a lineage and it has been Visible, right? It's out there in the world, but when it comes to, I think our modern day, and I can only speak from a U.S. centric point of view primarily, that it is not inclusive of that element of its roots being in the the African continent, and also our designers don't have an appreciation of that lineage because we have been taught that the starting point. For design and the way we practice it today, from a visual design perspective, that is, is in Bauhaus, right? And right. that is that is valid that that Bauhaus influence is a real influence. We get things like the grid from there, and it is part of how we evaluate whether work, like I said, before falls into a certain level of design maturity. However, you know, we could take this back and we could go to, you know, the, the hieroglyphics of uh, the Egyptians, right. And talk about the True. symbolism there and the patterns of grid there. I mean, so you're know, kind of like, where do you start? What do you exclude? What do you include? And I think that there's just so much richness that has not been included. And I want to make sure that that's included, but to speak specifically about what has happened post the research, I, like I said, I was fortunate to have the opportunity to share the work on different forums, whether it was as a keynote or as part of a panel or an archive. And I've been revisiting it a lot lately, particularly because we're at the point where there's so much reckoning, I think, that's possible. And I think it's happening at some points, but there's, there's so much more that's possible. And so it's questioning. How we do things, right? And I have been more scrutinizing about everything, like how I spend my time, you know, who I give my money to, what I invest in. And so I came back to my research because I was thinking about this like on three different levels, you know, where I have been on my journey as a person, as a professional, where the United States is in terms of our whole racial or racialized culture, Let's just leave it at that. And then also realizing that I have learned so much from this research from my peers. And those three elements have come together for me and made me see there is an opportunity to revisit what these designers were voicing that I was able to capture three years ago. It's, it's relevant again still. It was relevant before I captured it in my thesis, and so I've had the opportunity to go through it again and decide. As I mentioned, I'm going to take this to the next step. I'm going to focus now on creating a research focus that is about re-education of the profession and also speak to it in a way that I think interrogates like our what we believe to be our standards right now. Right. So one part of it is just illuminating, recognizing bringing a spotlight to these designers who have existed before us and we have a lineage we can claim. The other part of it is saying, we've always been here, though we've been othered. And so, you know what? We need to actually evaluate why is that? What's going on in our culture that has allowed that to be that way? And as I've talked about uh, before in some other sources, like critique that culture and make room for something different, entertain a mind space where there's something different or or more, again, or more expansive than, than it has been before.
1: I mean, I think anyone who's seen the arc of feminism through the seventies to now can see how exactly those steps make a huge difference. I mm-hmm. don't know about you, but if I hadn't, if, if publishing houses hadn't started putting out forgotten works from women, writers of the 19th and 20th century, I would mm-hmm. have been <laughs> purely under the impression yeah. that the only good writers out there that had something to say were men and, and white men. Right. After that.
2: Yeah, and, and yeah. I think that, that, that makes me think too about, you know, one of the parts in my thesis where I talk about some of the 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 researchers, the the activists who, who have preceded this work decades earlier, right? Sylvia Harris is one we talked about. Cheryl Miller is one who actually I reached out to her during the time of writing my thesis. She thirty years ago started this work. Thirty years ago started to talk about uh, you know, uh, Where a Where are all know, the black designers. black designers? Exactly. Yeah, and then she did the follow-up piece in the 90s, was wasn't it? Yeah, she did a follow-up piece, and uh, she was so gracious when I reached out to her. I didn't know what to expect, if she'd even be able to to spare her time, and was willing to. And I am fortunate that I have a wonderful relationship with her today. But we're still talking about very similar things today. And and, and so it makes me think about, you know, when you, you mentioned how you were inspired and needed to see a reflection of yourself in the work. Uh, you know, women designers were also talking about this, right? Ellen Lupton, who I, who I mentioned in the, in the work, uh, co-authored pieces around like this whole idea of underground matriarchy, which I love. It, it, and it's, it's a whole proclamation basically that, um, again, we've been here, right? We've been here. But, you know, our approaches are different. And there's validity. In that difference, and that we might approach things from a different framework, a different position, you know, but we're still just as valid design practitioners as maybe, not as maybe, as our male counterparts are. So, yeah, yeah I, find, I, find, I found a lot of inspiration from a whole uh, ancestry, shall we say, you know, before my work. So I am just one part of, I think a trajectory that wants to redesign this canon, it's time to.
1: Absolutely. So let's talk about some of your research findings. You spoke with 23 graphic designers who had been in practice for at least five years, residing in the United States, aged 25 to 45. 18 of the 23 interviewees were Black and five were White. You used the small sample of White designers, in your words, as a gauge to measure tendencies In other words, to understand whether responses by black designers were unique or common amongst all design professionals. And it actually turned out to be the case that there were some answers specific to black designers that weren't reflected in the answers of the white designers.
2: Yeah, there, there are a number. I think the one that I want to highlight is around place. So I looked at The perspectives of these designers, all 23, in terms of how do they perceive the most optimal creativity on four different dimensions? So what would they describe as the optimal creative person? What would they describe as the optimal creative process? What do they consider the optimal creative place? And then lastly, the optimal creative product. And this framework um, is, is not one that I originated. Again, as I talked about in the research, you have to come prepared also with your own understanding of what has existed beforehand. And I was fortunate to find the work of Mark Beatty, who had a framework around Investigating like creative measures, and he uses this dimension of of the of the four that I had mentioned to you already, people, process, place, and product. And so I asked these designers a number of questions, but four of them were specific to the four dimensions uh, that I had that I just illuminated. And something distinct that the black designers articulated was how important the place was in their ability to create the very best work possible. And I take place to mean the culture of the place. There are ways of thinking about place, of course, more literally, right? The mm-hmm. furniture, the the materiality of, this, of the space, the setup, but When you look at the responses of the designers, it's clear place has to do with the beliefs and the values and the way that you were treated. And a number of the Black designers made it very clear that if they're not in an environment that they can be themselves, their creativity is diminished. I mean, it's, it's that simple. There, of course, are a number of other elements that go into that response. But, you know, in short, the environment is so fundamental to being able to have optimal creativity. And so that is something that I found very distinct in the voices of the Black designers that were worth noting. And to just add to that, specifically, some of the attributes that they expressed needing in that place, in that culture, was around safety. Right. So, and I, I always think when I hear this and I say it, say it out loud, you know, wow, like you would, safety, right? Like being able yeah. to feel that you could be yourself and safe in a space because you feel threatened that you cannot be yourself. That's, that's quite deep, but it's real. I mean, and it extends beyond a workplace. It, it's the condition that, that you live in when, you, when you're oppressed or you're marginalized. So, it, 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 why would it be any different, right? But so, safety was one, inclusivity was the second. And then this idea of creative freedom was the third, right? And and so again, that I think was just something that was so clearly articulated and worth pointing out. And I think the second one, I guess really, really briefly, that I also thought worthwhile was going a bit beyond place and connecting place to process. So basically the takeaway or the insight being that the creative Place and the creative process. So, the culture, right, and the mm-hmm. making that we pride ourselves in, that they're interdependent, that they have to be in harmony. And so, it, it goes back to what we talked about like, it, it starts with the place, it starts with the culture. The tie into being able to make work that truly pushes your creativity forward means that the process and the place have to. Be in harmony. There is a connection or an interdependence between between the two. And I, again, I just felt that that was an insight that that was clearly articulated by Black designers more so than than their white counterparts. And I believe it's a direction or a directive that we could take forward when we think about how do we reinvent the future of work. Like, what are the cultures that we're upholding and rewarding and critique that and find out you know where are we where are we, where do we have our shortcomings and, and start to you know kind of redesign those things because that'll be the foundation for getting the most out of our out of all of our people when it comes to the creative making process so those two i think stood out the most for me but there are a number of other insights that i was able to take away from from the research
1: so you're in a position now, I hope also, are you in a position to shape the culture and 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 make sure yeah. those those things are in place for the designers and creatives you work with?
2: Absolutely. So what attracted me to, to this role that I have at IBM was just this great, expansive opportunity to shape culture, right? So I talk about this a lot when I talk about my career journey. I never started out thinking, I am going to become a design executive, right? That was not my destination. Uh, But it evolved over time, because what I realized, as a practitioner, heavily focused in the craft, that more and more, when you're looking to make bigger impact work, you have to partner with people, it's not just you, and you have to lead teams. You have to inspire them. You have to show them what the vision is and hopefully galvanize them in that direction. So you start to get more and more removed from the nitty gritty of the work, right? You start to become more of a director, an inspirer, someone who is shaping the conditions for the very best work to have that happen. And so my mind had to shift from being focused on craft for the sake of craft and and evolve that into craft for the sake of culture. So I think of myself as designing culture now. And so I, I am in a position where that is the focus of transforming our existing culture in a way that is progressive, that's moving towards innovation and agency of our designers. And we're in the early stages of our growth. I was inspired to come on board because The designers who were here before me, they are pioneers, right? They set the groundwork. It is very hard to start something that does not exist, right? And so Mm -hmm. we're an engineering-focused company. That's where our tradition is in. And so for design to be incorporated, integrated into that culture, that takes time and it is not for the faint of heart. So I I give a lot of credit to the designers who came before me to make it even feasible and attractive for someone to come in from the outside, so to speak, and be so inspired and impressed by what had already transpired in creating a new culture. This is ultimately what we're doing. Yes, we're bringing design in. Yes, we're thinking about things from a more human-centered approach. Yes, we're bringing in methods that are new and reimagined based on design thinking. Uh, You know, yes, we have practitioners across user experience design, visual design research, content design, content development, industrial design. I can keep going. The point is, ultimately, the greatest artifact that we're producing is a change in the way we work. Is a change in our culture. And so for me that is extremely inspiring and it it always brings me back to this work, which is about like what is the culture we're creating and being intentional with that Just as design is intentional where does that we have to design an intentional culture? So I do have the ability to to do that, but it is not me alone, Rose. It is a team effort and ultimately, the culture is driven by the individuals on the team that are aligning to like a way of belief, a value system and all of that. I'm just one of the people that helps make that happen, you know, and and keeps it going, sustains it. So I feel like it's very in line with with some of the takeaways I, I have from the bold principle, the research. And so I'm excited about what the future holds for us in our team at IBM, um, but also with the future holds for this research.
1: Can I ask if you feel good about the diversity of your own team?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. We're going through our own internal evaluation of what our population looks like and where our shortcomings are. From a design perspective, my team sits across 11 sites. Our organization is a little more than 190 practitioners and the geographies, while we are in North America heavy, so the majority of our designers are in North America, we have uh, a fair amount of designers also in Europe. Um, we have designers in China as well. And so diversity is different in terms of where you're looking geographically, like what the, what the equation is, I guess, or, or what, what diversity means, I should say, is different. So I think from a U.S.-specific point of view and looking at our team and our diversity of our team, we are not there yet. And the way that I think about there is, do we reflect the demographics of where we do our work? So in the U.S., if we have, I think, the latest data on the Black population, for example, was 13.4%, can I look at my organization and see that we have 13.4%, 13% of our population is Black? Today, I cannot do that, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, And so we fall short there. And so, you know, that's an undertaking for me, for our hiring managers, for our recruiters to, to rectify that. But I go back to something a little bit deeper. I am not a proponent of us hiring to a quota. I, I think it's, it's a lot deeper. It's, you know, what are we doing in these communities that we're trying to bring on board? What does our pipeline look like? What are relationships with historically Black colleges and universities? And let's go even deeper. We talked a lot about curriculum and education. What do, what do we propose in terms of our own value and identity as a design program within our within our corporation? You know, does that even need to be reevaluated, the values we have? Is it inclusive? Right. So I think we have work to do. I'm I am inspired though by what we've done so far in our organization. We've had open conversations with our employees to understand what they want to see more of and we have work groups that are actively engaged in making those changes happen but the truth will come out after generations this is not a one and done thing just like the research wasn't this is going to take sustained effort and like continuous recalibration and and monitoring to understand are we really creating lasting impact and the verdict is still or the jury, I guess. It's the jury. I always get my I always get my saying. You can say the verdict out. out. (laughs)
1: The verdict is still out. (laughs) Yeah, at least IBM is is a is an organization that has potential, huge potential there. I hadn't actually thought about that in talking to you that they have outreach programs and influence in all of these areas. That you mentioned,
2: absolutely, absolutely. University. I think if anyone's yeah. going to step up and do this work, I, I think we we definitely have a community that's engaged, wants to make change. Uh, we have a, a large population of two thousand plus designers at this point. I'm sure you've, you know probably a couple hundred more than even that, larger probably than most enterprises. Uh, and so we're committed to to making a difference right and not not going backwards and i do believe that design for what it's worth yes we have the functional part of design that is that I won't, I won't take away from that that you know we are ultimately producers and we create but what i've seen in my career and why i've stuck around in this profession is i've seen how design can change culture I've seen it in each instance, whether I've been here at IBM or in my prior role at S&P Global, where design was the thing or the creative team was the thing that was the new introduced piece. (laughs) And it became the catalyst for us having to look at doing things differently, working differently. So that gives me a lot of inspiration.
1: That's wonderful to hear. That's encouraging. And did yeah. you, it's a you tough, talk recently? It's a tough one.
2: It's, <laughs> like
1: I said, yeah, it's, it's a, not, a tough, tough job to have, it's tough you mean.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's a tough <laughs> job to have. It's a tough job to have. And it, 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 it's continual. I, I, I say that it's a catalyst, right? It is not the solution full stop. It is a catalyst. And so what I what I learned the hard way, but I had to learn this, is that It's not just one leader's responsibility. It's not just one function's responsibility. We can spark that, but you need an ecosystem. You need other leaders who are going to support you. You need funding. Uh, Mm. You need agreement, right? So it's so much richer than, oh, wow, we have someone who thinks differently and they're going to lead us uh, the way. They're going to spark that. They're going to help galvanize that. But are we going to sustain it? How do we sustain it? How do we make for acceleration and and, and real lasting change. That is, I think, always the harder or more challenging part to solve.
1: Would you say that you got some valuable skills at the Berlin School for exactly those kinds of battles?
2: (laughs) For sure. I mean, it depends on which one we want to pick, whether it's a late night trying to get, you know, trying to get all of our, uh, you know, work done and in a polished format and then present out and oh yeah we have 15 minutes of sleep type of thing but you know i think all (laughs) of us creators know what that's like right we we know how to power through but you know i say that jokingly but here's the thing that is about commitment and i think that a program like berlin school you have to commit to this this is again this is this is something where you don't have a transactional experience okay The experience unfolds across your modules, unfolds when you're not in the modules and you talk to your cohort peers or folks you've met along the way just to check in or to say, hey, I need, you know, uh, a sounding board or what have you. So the commitment piece, I think, you know, is something that is reinforced with a program like the Berlin School because you're taking the time to invest and commit to yourself, number one. But something else, well, I guess two other things really quickly that I take away from my experience at the Berlin School. Again, I was very intentional around choosing the Berlin School. I looked at so many programs. And I wanted to, number one, be around other creative professionals. That was very important to me. I didn't want to do a traditional MBA program. But number two, I wanted to have a community that was different from me. And as you know, the community is a global one, right? So You're going to meet folks from South Africa, and you're going to meet folks from Russia, and you're going to meet folks from Canada, and you name it, you name it, you name it. There's going to be that richness of cultures, nationalities, identities. Uh, And so for me, that was really, really important. And that translates back into the work, right? And to having a network that is not just reflective of you. We talked about this with the whole, you know, critiquing the cultures that have been so normalized. But having an expansive network and tapping into those folks who can add that richness and that nuance that you you, you miss if you remain very singular in your thinking. So I think, you know, that that those two things for me were really important to have that creative network, but also to have a network that represented pluralism, like so many different ways of experiencing, of experiencing the industry and ultimately, you know, experiencing life.
1: I know you have to go. Can I ask you quickly before you go to tell me a bit more and tell our listeners a bit more about the bold principle?
2: Absolutely. The bold principle. So it's not the name of my thesis, but once I reflected on my thesis, got it handed in, I thought about it further and further. And the bold principle came out of me wanting to more explicitly talk about what I took away from the thesis and to create an acronym that was inspired by the people I interviewed. So. Bold is that acronym, so it stands for BAM, Others Leading in Design, and and the BAM part of it is meant to be this, like, assertive declaration inspired by the voices and the talents of the Black designers that I interviewed, as well as their white counterparts, but also specifically acknowledge the existence of these Black designers and their paths in the industry and show that they've had to take bold moves progress, right? The folks that that I've talked to have to go through their own sets of challenges and hurdles, like we all all end up having to do. Um, And it takes a certain level of boldness to do that. So it has that acronym of like, this is about highlighting others who have not traditionally been highlighted, but also about taking a different stance, a bold stance forward.
1: So you could say maybe your thesis didn't come in a bolt of lightning, but you're leaving a bolt of lightning (laughs) behind to absolutely motivate and make sure that things change in the long term and the short term. Yes,
2: it's the long yeah, and the short term. But it is it is it is is the long horizon. I think where we're going to find the most change for for you know what what we're all hopefully setting out to do, which is to have a more fulfilled in our industry to so also tap into the fullness of our creativity. Um, you know, that's something that continues to keep me going and motivated. So more to come, more boldness to come from from me. Wish you all the best on your journey forward. Thank you so much, Rose. You too. And, and thank you for inviting me to speak on this. I appreciate it.
0: To learn more about Shani, you can visit her website at shanisandy.com. That's S-H-A-N-I-S-A-N-D-Y. You can also follow her on Twitter under the handle S-H-4-N-I. For the record, the Black woman designer she referenced when talking about her research project is a woman named Anna Russell Jones, who was the first African-American graduate of the Philadelphia School of Design for Women. To learn more about the Berlin School's Executive MBA in Creative Leadership, and our online executive education programs, go to berlin-school.com. And be sure to check out our social channels for the most up-to-date interviews, articles, and news from our community. This has been Rose Merrill from the Berlin School. Thanks for listening.